All right. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you for my voice being all gone now because I wanted to sing really hard for all those amazing songs. No, that was great. Boy, uh, I hope uh, you enjoy being together, doing what we just did as a group, singing praise to God. It was amazing to hear you sing. Amazing. Hear you singing that no one can pluck you out of Jesus' hand. You will stand in Christ, right? Uh, if you weren't starting to kind of do this kind of thing as you're singing, whoo, that was awesome, right? Thank you, Matt, for leading us. We're in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Acts chapter 16, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, but before we jump in, let's go ahead and pray. Sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we thank you and praise you that the songs we sing are built upon truth that we find in Your Word. Your Word says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and He fulfilled everything required for Your redemption plan. And He humbled Himself. He became obedient to death on the cross. He paid for our sins. He paid for my sins. By His wounds, we are healed. And he was buried and put in a tomb that could not keep him because it was your will that he would be raised from the dead. And he, in his power as the mighty Son of God, the Holy One of God, wrenched his life back to your praise and glory and for our salvation. And that is why we're here this morning. And we praise you. We thank you for your transforming grace. And all God's people said, Amen. Awesome. Okay, well, last week we jumped into Acts. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, Luke and uh, how he wrote his gospel of Luke based on um, eyewitness accounts, different things that he had uh, heard from people. Um, and he wrote it to his friend named Theophilus. The whole goal was to be able to give Theophilus a firm foundation a strong, secure building platform to understand and know that what he believed was legitimate. It was rooted in history. It was fact. That's important. We're not here this morning gathering, talking about fairy tales. These are things that people saw, things that people touched, right? And so praise God, they've passed those down and we're here this morning. But he wrote two books. He wrote, Luke, last week we jumped into Acts. In Acts, we were introduced to the transforming grace of Jesus coming and invading Saul's life, right, on his way to Damascus. And if you went home and just kind of briefly went through what happened after that, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Saul's life was significantly transformed. We read very quickly that he began to go and he began to preach. And he began to, through the Scriptures, prove that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And many people began to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And very quickly, it's interesting, the destroyer became a uh, life giver. He became a builder, right? Um, the stealer, the thief, became someone who was generously giving the gospel. But what's interesting is very quickly, he had a target on his back. And we see two 
assassination attempts trying to take out Paul. And the early church found out and he was rescued. We read a little more. Uh, Saul got stoned. Read a little more. Saul got stoned again. They dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. And Paul, I don't know, you know, he just kind of woke up. And guess what he did? He went back in the city. <laughs> all right. Just, and we begin to see all these different things. And why? Well, because at the beginning of Acts, Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my what? Witnesses. Be my witnesses. I've transformed you by my amazing grace. Now tell everybody about me. Be my witnesses. And so, uh, um, Saul teams up with a man named Barnabas and they go around their, the known world at that time and they, they start being witnesses and they share the gospel and people get saved and they begin to plant churches and they come to an end. They take a little break in Antioch and then they decide, hey, we're going to go back. We're going to do another missions trip. And in Acts 15, we see that they kind of had a disagreement um, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark. Uh, Paul was not up for that. John Mark, for some reason, left halfway through or at the beginning of the mission trip. And so he didn't want to bring John at this time. So Barnabas was like, okay, two, how about this? Two become four. Why? Because the gospel is important. Disagreements, okay, what is the thing that holds us together? The thing that holds us together is Jesus transforming grace. Amen? And so, they're like, okay, right. Two's going to become four. So Barnabas took um, John Mark. They went off. Uh, Paul took Silas, and they went off. And we come to chapter 16. That's where we're going to be at. And in Acts chapter 16, they, they head out, and they go to a place, and they meet this young man. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is, have you heard of him? Timothy, Right? They meet Timothy, and they're so impressed with Timothy that they invite him to join them and be their partners in the gospel, okay? So the dynamic duo becomes a band, all right? And Timothy, he joins them, and they begin going around. And what we're going to do is we're going to actually read um, this passage, Acts 16, 6 through 40. Uh, this week, my, my beautiful, wonderful wife said, hey, be sure and read the whole text. I want to hear the whole story. I said, yes, ma'am. We'll do it. Okay, so here we go. Ready? I'm going to try. I'll read and I'll try and paint a picture. I'm going to do my best thespian voice and try and pull you in to what happens. All right, here we go. They just met Timothy. Timothy's just joined them. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae or Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Pause. Okay. So it's interesting. Did you catch what happened there? 
Up to this point, it's Paul, Silas, and who? Who class? Timothy. And did you see, up to this point, Luke is like, they, 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 they. And then he said, we sought to go. Because God had called us to preach. So Luke joins, and he is an eyewitness of what we're going to talk about, all right? So going on, next slide, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart. He opened her eyes to pay attention to hear what was said by Paul. She heard it. God opened her eyes. She believed. And 15, after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She convinced them to stay at her house. It must have been a good-sized house. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She had a demon that was possessing her and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to you the way of salvation. Wow. Over and over again. And this she kept doing for many days. Imagine that. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> turned and said to the spirit, the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, their moneymaker had dried up, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Pause. Only Paul and Silas get singled out. Why? Because Luke is a Gentile. And Timothy is part Jew and Gentile. Okay? So, Timothy and, and Luke, they're not in this right now. Just Paul and Silas. Here we go, the next thing. Verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. What, they were, what they, were they saying? They were saying Jesus is Messiah. He is the Lord. He is King. And they're like, we only have one Lord and King. His name is Caesar. They're trying to get us to, you know, commit treason. That's, you know, they're trying to get them in trouble. Okay? So the crowd joined in and attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of Paul and Silas and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, 
ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now catch this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Imagine it. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, Imagine this. He washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen? But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. Thirty-six, And the jailer reported these words to Paul. He's like, hey, good news. Good news, Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly. We're uncondemned. We're Roman citizens. And they've thrown us into prison. And now, do they want to throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Rut roll. 38. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. When they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them. I bet they did. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Being Jesus' witnesses. Theophilus gets this book from his friend Luke, and he's reading it, and he sees his Lord and Savior at the beginning say, you will be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. And then he's introduced to these people who go out and they start doing this. Why? Because of Jesus' transforming grace. And so one of the possibilities of why Paul or Luke would give this to his friend was to let him know, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a witness of Jesus. That makes sense, right? And so we're going to look very quickly because we're going to have to fly some things talking about what does it look like? What, being 
Jesus witnesses, what does it involve? So here's the first one. Being Jesus witnesses involves following God's guidance. Did you see it? In the, in the passage, look at it. Acts 16, they're going around. They come to a city, open door, they begin preaching. They come to a city, uh, no, closed door. The Holy Spirit then let them. Uh, don't say anything, just go to the next place. And so they go place to place to place based on whether the door is open or whether the door is closed, right? Then uh, they, they go on and the next verses talk about um, they, they spend the night somewhere and Paul has this vision in verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. Wow. It's of a man. He, he looks like he's from Macedonia. And he's like, come over here and help us, please. <laughs> right? And so Paul wakes up from the dream or snaps out of the vision. And, and he's like, hey, guys. He tells him what happened. And guess what? They're all like, well, I guess God wants us to go to Macedonia. Right? Here's your sign. And so they go. We need to understand, if we're going to be witnesses for Jesus, we have to be able to follow God's guidance. We have to be able to follow his guidance. Look at Psalm 119.105. How has God guided us? How does he guide us? Here's the main big way. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has given us his word. He's revealed himself to us. He's revealed what he wants us to be and to do. He's revealed about us and who we are and how we need him. And you know, if we spent time in God's word regularly throughout the week, we would begin to know what God wants us to do, right? He's going to guide us, right? And as we work and we say, okay, what does this passage look like in my life? How do I begin to live this out? We would have plenty to do, wouldn't we? Right? So that's the one of the main ways. God is going to guide us through his word. But here's another way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. He will make your path straight. God for sure has told us in his word what he wants us to do and we should be obeying it. Yes, of course. But then there's these times when, and I'm not going to say it's a voice, but I'm, I, there's, there's a time when you maybe you have a prompting and it's like, you know what? I, I should go up to that person and say something to that person. I should go and Boy, the coincidence there is just too much coincidence, right? I'm going to take advantage of this and say something, right? I've done that a couple times. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready to leave, and this guy was carrying a brand new road bike, bicycle, across the street. And I'm like, that's weird. It looks like a pretty new bike. <laughs> Why is he carrying it? And then I saw, oh, his wheel is broken. Huh. And so I, I opened up my car door. He was carrying it. I honked my horn. 
shut the door, one after, after him. I'm like, hey, man, dude, what are you doing? He's like, well, my, my bike's broke. And I check my phone, and I think there's a um, bike shop up here a little ways. And I go, oh, yeah, it's Rasmussen's. It's like a half a mile away. You're not carrying your bike that, way, that far. He's like, what? I go, yeah, you're not carrying your bike that far. We're going to put your bike in my car, and I'm going to drive you there. He's like, are you kidding me? Really? I'm like, you betcha. Here we go. So we did it. We got to Rasmussen's. I opened the door. I swung open the door. I'm like, here, this is, this is Mr. I don't know if it's Mr. Rasmussen, but I was like, he's got, our family's gotten some stuff here. He's going to hook you up. He's a great guy. And so they talked. And when we're all done, he had said that he, he had to go back home and he had to catch a bus. I was like, hey, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to, you need, a, need help to the bus stop. And he's like, well, I, I actually want to go. I work at Hy-Vee Fast and Fresh. I want to use my, um, my employee discount to get some food. I said, well, I'll take you there. He's like, are you kidding? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. Jump on in. He's like, man, this is awesome. So as we drove, I started asking him his name. I think it was Jacob. Jacob went to Grandview Christian School. And a number of things that had happened in his life, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't close to God right then. And I just started talking to him. God, put a guy right in my path. And he's like, help him. <laughs> now, I didn't need to crack open my Bible and go, should I help him? Why? Because I had already cracked open my Bible, and my Bible tells me to help. Right? But being a witness involves that. Sometimes those things happen. Now, here's a warning. Never, if you hear a voice and you start having a conversation with it, maybe you're crazy, but no. If you hear a voice, always check the voice with the Word of God. Always. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. He will never tell you to do something that does goes against God's Word. I've had people come to me they tell me what they wanted to do, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Can you show me how that works in the Bible? And they're like, well, you know that verse, God's ways aren't our ways. And I'm like, yeah, but God doesn't lie either. He already said to do this, and what you're trying to do is opposite of that, so I don't think he told you to do that. That wasn't his voice. <laughs> so we have to be careful, but we also don't need to go to the other end where if we feel a prompting and it goes directly with God's word, we don't do it. Does that make sense? Being a witness of God involves following God's guidance. Here's the next one. Being a witness of God involves finding common ground. This is really cool. This is what Paul did. This is so awesome. Look at it. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Now that's interesting. Well, what Paul would do is he would go to a city and he would look to see if there was a synagogue there first. Well, apparently there wasn't a synagogue there. Why? Well, it was Jewish tradition and code, I guess you could say, that there had to be at least 10 males, 10 Hebrew Jewish men to have a synagogue. If there wasn't a synagogue, then there wasn't 10 men, right? And so they would go to someplace outside the city where there was running water. Why running water? Running water to a Jew is living water. You ever heard of that in the Bible? Living water. Why would they want living water? 
Living water was a, a pure source. It was an image or a picture of the pureness of God, right? And so they would go and normally they would wash themselves and they would cleanse themselves ceremonially and they would pray. So Paul is like, let's go to a place where people are, they know about God. We have something in common with them. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. And he's like, we'll take the scriptures and show them that Jesus really is the Son of God. How's that sound? They have common ground, right? Lydia was worshiping God. She wasn't a believer yet, but she had that in common with Paul. Do you remember Peter? Peter went to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was worshiping God, but he hadn't heard about Jesus Christ yet. So being a witness for Jesus, being Jesus' witness, right, involves finding common ground. You know, we do things at High Point uh, trying to find common ground with people. High Point men, High Point women. Uh, the High Point women, they've done pottery things and uh, made flower arrangements and they've built things. And, and why? Well, because ladies, we have this common ground and hey, how'd you like to learn how to do this? And we'll come and we'll build a relationship with you and then we'll share Jesus with you, right? Guys, there aren't a whole lot of guys who don't like steak and corn. Just being honest, that's just the way it is. We all have that in common. And so why? that's why we have a steak and corn. That's why we have a bags tournament. That's why we do the different things we do. Why? To find common ground. Last night, I was at a race, a dirt track race. Okay? Matt George, I call him Evil Knievel. The dude is crazy, driving around 110 miles an hour on a bike in the dirt. But he has that in common with those guys. And he's made a track that shares the gospel with them. He's finding common ground. When I was in college, I played soccer. And they actually let me out. I paid enough money. And I passed all my classes. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm a youth pastor. I'm going to try and connect with the students. So I coached soccer and boys and girls. I uh, helped with the basketball team. I helped with the uh, baseball, the softball team. Why? Because I wanted to connect. I, wanted, I had common ground. Does that make sense? We need to find common ground so that we can be with. That's, that's just something we see Paul doing. And it's a great idea. I read a book one time and it said this, before you, um, now sometimes you can just right out of the gate share the gospel with a neighbor or whatever, but the book said barbecue first. How about have your friend or your neighbor over for a barbecue? Get to know them. Find common ground and then share Jesus, right? It's just, it's a good, something we learn. Here's the next one. Being Jesus' witnesses involves sharing the gospel message. <laughs> Sorry, that's just so basic, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But you know what? It's important to remind us of that. Being Jesus' witness involves sharing the gospel message. Look at it. Verse 14, they go by the river, they meet some ladies and... God opens their heart because of what Paul was saying. 
That's important. If we go on in the passage, this uh, demon-possessed girl comes up to them and says, uh, she's following them around, and she says in verse 17, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Right? That's important. Paul would say in his letter to the Romans, 10.14, he would say, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So what we're talking about, finding common ground is part of doing the work of of an evangelist. Um, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Greg and I have talked about this. Timothy was kind of timid, right? And Paul's like, dude, find common ground with them, build a relationship with them, and then share the gospel. Share the gospel. Do you know how to share the gospel? We, we emphasize being able to share your testimony. If you have the Church Center app, and if you're looking at the sermon notes, and if you go all the way to the bottom, there's a button you can push that will take you to a testimony page. I invite you to go to that, print it, and work through it. We use that. Why? So that you can present your testimony to someone and share it to them and be confident. Do you know the Romans road? Do you know the bridge illustration? Can you, have you memorized those scriptures? If you haven't, guess what? There's a little button at the bottom of your notes and you can click on that and you can look at those two things. Why do that? So that when you're in a situation and the opportunity comes up, you can just very smoothly I read a book one time, and this pastor loved um, boating. He was a sailor, lived on Lake Michigan. And he would use his boat to find common ground with people. And one time, he was with a group of people. They were on a sailboat. They got done. They were coming back. And as he was literally stepping off the boat onto the dock, the guy who owned the boat goes, Hey, can you tell me the difference between your church and any other church? And he's like, I knew I had about 30 seconds. And he goes, well, two words. Do versus done. And the guy, what? He said, well, a lot of other churches, what they do, it's religion. And it's all about religion. It's what you do. What do you do to make yourself feel okay with God? What do you do to try to please God? What do you do to try to... Get salvation from him. Our church, we preach done. God sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He bore our sins. And he gives us his righteousness when we put our faith in him. He has done it. That's the difference. Could you be able to do that in a minute? I mean, that's pretty awesome. Being witnesses... For Jesus involves being able to share the gospel message. Here's the next one. It involves engaging the enslaved. 
We see it. Verse 18. This poor girl. First of all, she's a slave. That's, that's terrible. Here's the reality. We all are slaves to sin. Paul says that in Romans. We're all slaves. This girl physically was a slave. She was also spiritually saved because she was lost in her sin. But she was also spiritually enslaved because she was possessed by a demon. And Paul had had enough. He wanted to engage this enslaved girl. Why? Because he wanted to witness the power of Christ to her. I think these passages may have been floating around in Paul's mind. He would have known them because he was a Pharisee. Psalm 82 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Look at uh, Proverbs 24. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. We need to engage the enslaved. There is no one that we will look in the eye that isn't enslaved by sin. And there are people, maybe even here today, who are enslaved, maybe addiction. Sometimes it's our own choices. Sometimes it's like, the, it wasn't the girl's choice to be a, a, a slave. It wasn't probably the girl's choice to be demon-possessed. Sometimes we're enslaved just because we've been living life. Sometimes it's our choice. But we cannot be afraid to engage the enslaved. Does that make sense? Therefore, we're involved with gospel-centered recovery. Therefore, we're involved with prison ministries. Therefore, we're involved with Agape Women's Center. Therefore, uh, we're involved in some ways with freedom for youth. It, we cannot be afraid. Paul was not afraid. He engaged. Here's the next thing. Following God's guidance, finding common ground, sharing the gospel message, engaging the enslaved, and then being Jesus' witnesses involves understanding people won't always be grateful. <laughs> Maybe underline that. Circle it. I, I, look at verses 19 to 22. Paul tells the demon to leave. The demon leaves. And guess what didn't happen? Her, her owners weren't like, well, praise the Lord. You're free. No more oppression. Boy, you're, you're going to be a good... No, they lost their moneymaker. They were mad. They were upset. They went after Paul and Silas. They tore their clothes off. They beat them. They were so upset that they got the city behind them, right? And I don't know why, but sometimes I have a hard time because I feel like if I share Jesus, everybody should be excited about that and everybody should be grateful. And then when I do and there's a negative response, I'm crushed. But Paul understood. 
he understood the reality. The reality is, is that not everyone's going to be grateful. When, when Jesus transforms you by his grace and you put your faith in him and you are born again, not everybody's going to be grateful. Mom and dad might not be grateful. Brother and sister might not be grateful. Boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance might not be grateful. Boss might not be grateful. And we need to know that going in, don't we? We just, and I, I struggle with this. I'm just being honest. I'm struggling. I struggle with this sometimes because I like people to like me. Can you relate to that? And so we just need to know going in that being Jesus' witness involves understanding that not everybody is going to be grateful. Right? Here's the next one. Uh, let's see here. Okay, good. He's doing a good job keeping up because I just made a big jump. That's okay. Being Jesus' witnesses involves remembering to rejoice in God's faithfulness. And this is important. Look at verse uh, 25. About midnight, after being beaten, after being put in stocks, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Huh, that's interesting. Huh. Being Jesus' witness involves remembering to celebrate God's faithfulness. When we don't do that, we're going to get hurt, upset, maybe angry, disappointed, and then bitter. We need to regularly, I try to every day, I have this thing I made. What am I thankful, what am I grateful to God for today? Maybe you need to sing every day. Maybe. It's awesome when we sing together. We need to remember what Christ has done for us because it will give you strength. The gospel strengthens you. Amen? Um, look at what Psalm 34 says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Habakkuk 3, 17, 18. Though the fig trees should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Man, that sounds like a great day, doesn't it? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So Paul will write to these people in Philippians 2, uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Why? Because people are watching. There were people in the cells around him. But then he'll say in Philippians 4, 4 through 5, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That is so key in being a witness for Jesus. Why? Because we just, we start to pout, we start to get angry, we start to get frustrated. If we carry long lists, if we carry around all the baggage, man, your hands are so full, you have nothing to give. Does that make sense? And we just get stuck. 
Here's the last one. Being Jesus' witnesses involves making the most of every opportunity. And we're going to really see that in Philippians. But here, 1625, it's midnight. They're praying, singing, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're like, this is where um, captive audience came from. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know where it came from. But when you read Philippians, Paul, he's like, hey, you know what? So I get arrested. I get handcuffed. A lot of times I get handcuffed to guards. And it's like, hey, do you know why I'm in? I heard. I've been telling people about Jesus. What? Yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. So much so that when we get to Philippians, we're going to read very early in the letter. Paul's like, um, I've been able to share the gospel in prisons. I've even been in Caesar's house. And I've been able to lead people to the Lord in Caesar's house. Why? Because he makes the most of every opportunity. But then sometimes, like the fruit falls right in your hand. Look at the end here, 29. They've been singing They've been praying, and then it gets late, and the, um, the jailer falls asleep. There's the earthquake. Everything goes down, and it says, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He, he was repenting. Okay, he was afraid. Now, he was afraid for his life, but he comes and he said, what must I do to be saved? And they're like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Right? Make that, hey, here you go. Sometimes it's just kind of like catching fruit, right? So, just really quick, and I know I'm out of time. Thank you for letting me read 800 verses earlier. But how do we apply this? Here's, here's just a couple of things. <laughs> I think as Theophilus was reading this, and as we read this, we have to answer the question, whose voice has our attention? Are we following God's guidance? Am I so distracted? That I'm looking at everything else. I'm searching everything else. But I'm not hearing God's voice. Right? How are we leveraging our relationships, gifts, abilities, and interests to find common ground? Some of you play instruments. Some of you are businessmen, businesswomen. Some of you own your own business. Some of you have hobbies. You have gifts and abilities. How are you using those things to find common ground with people? How good are we at sharing the gospel message? I challenge you, if you haven't learned, learn. It can be done. How are we willing to help enslave people? How spiritually tough are we? This is something I've been working on. I've been, this is my year of hard things. Maybe sometime I could tell you about it. But I've been trying to do hard things. Why? Because you know what? I just, it's just, life is so easy. If I get bored, I'm so bored, I just go and I open up the, the cupboard and I start eating little Debbie snack cakes and, you know, Oreo cookies, those, those Oreo cookies, they make it so easy to open and close now. And they stay fresh. You know, how spiritually tough are we? And then, how open are we to the opportunities God gives? They're all around us. 
Paul wrote in one of his letters, pray that God gives us opportunities. Why? Because we want to be witnesses. And then pray that we make the most of every opportunity. Amen? We're going to go in, and I hope you're ready. Philippians, I am so excited for Philippians. This is the background. This is the environment. This little church of Lydia and her house, the jailer and his house, possibly, probably a demon-possessed girl, and Luke stays on and everybody else leaves. And so we'll see next week what all happens in this church in Philippi. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Your word is amazing. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for calling us to be witnesses. Help us to do that. Help us to really think how we can. Most of all, I pray that we would ask for the desire to do it and then, God, you've promised you will give us the power to do it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.